Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with today's co-host, Annie Corrigan from WFIU and the host of Earth Eats. It's uh, Thanksgiving weekend here in Bloomington, and we're going to be talking about local foods in Indiana and uh, a whole lot of other topics that are about food. Uh, we have three guests. Two are in the studio. One's joining us by phone. Uh, joining us by phone is David King from Indiana Grown, the Indiana Grown Project, the, the project manager, and uh, Amanda Nicky, CEO of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, is here in the studio, as is Marsha Veldman from the Bloomington Farmer's Market. Um, we're pre-recording this show, so you can't give us a call today, but we hope that you'll just sit back and listen, and we'll probably make you hungry by the end of the program. <laughs> and, you know, follow us on Twitter. We're going to be posting some fun things at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. If we talk about some recipes, Bob, we'll put those on Twitter for sure. That's great. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you'll do a lot of things on that Twitter feed of yours. <laughs> I will do all the Twitter things, yes. All right. Okay. Well, I wanted to start uh, by talking with David, just asking him about Indiana Grown. You're the project manager for that organization. Organization. Tell us a little bit about what it is. Uh, thank you. Uh, Indiana Grown is a state marketing initiative that uh, actually we had our official launch on July the 7th of this year. <clears throat> the basic purpose, <clears throat> excuse me, the basic purpose of Indiana Grown is to uh, help uh, create the awareness to our consumers of what products actually are produced and made here in Indiana. Uh, also, um, and that would be, uh, in other words, the consumers can look for the Indiana Grown logo on the products. Also, um, Indiana Grown is, we're trying to uh, encourage folks, as I said, to buy local uh, because particularly right now, we're, as a state, you know, we're purchasing about $16 billion worth of food uh, per year. And only about 10% of that comes from Indiana. So we would certainly like to focus on uh, local products because we sure need to be buying a lot more product from ourselves. Hey, David, this is Annie. Thanks so much for being on the show. A question about the farms that are associated with the Indiana Grown Project. Is it correct that these can be large conventional farms as well as small family-sized organic farms? Is that true? Absolutely. You know, each one has uh, their own products that they're producing, and and this is sort of a big tent. This is for all of Indiana agriculture. I wonder, does your organization also do safety testing on these farms? Do you go on the farms to see how they're growing their food? Uh, actually, no, we don't. Um, you know, here in Indiana, the State Department of Agriculture is, you know, we're not a regulatory agency, uh, so we're not involved in, in that. However, we do... Uh, try to direct and guide any of our members to the particular service entity that they would need to check on for that. David, when you talk about uh, the 10 percent of the food um, is is from Indiana, um, what are the main crops or the main products that are coming from inside the state? Well, some of the main, obviously, the, the two of the larger uh, crops uh, coming from Indiana, of course, would be uh, you know, corn and soybeans. Uh, but there's a lot of best-kept secrets uh, here in Indiana. Indiana right now, we're the uh, number one uh, duck uh, producer uh, in the United States. We're, a lot of duck comes out of our maple leaf uh, farming operation. You know, in addition to that, there's a lot of poultry and eggs uh, that come out and pork. And there's a real growing... Uh, trend right now in the specialized uh, proteins. Um, so we're, it's very broad spreads coming from both uh, large agriculture entities and smaller as well. We actually did a program uh, just 
a week or two ago about hemp. Is that one of the special proteins you're talking about? No, actually, you know, hemp is uh, the folks um, that are involved with hemp. They're members of uh, Indiana Grown, but, you know, the, the food byproducts of hemp, you know, really aren't too big right now in the program. However, uh, there are some in the program. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Marsha Veldman is here, and Marsha is the she runs the farmers market uh, here in Bloomington, which is a great market for those of you who who are from outside of the uh, Bloomington area and haven't been here. It's a really special place and a special market every Saturday morning, and we need it. We'll have to talk a little bit about the the market that's coming up tomorrow as we're airing this program. But just first, I mean, when you talk about Indiana grown, I mean, the the products that you have at the farmers market are all grown within how far of Bloomington. Yeah, at our market, we have a grower-only requirement. So among the farm vendors, it's all grown in Indiana. But in reality, the vast majority of it comes from within about 60 miles of Bloomington. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty darn local by most standards. Do you know, I mean, you have, I know you have a wide range of, of products that are there, different products, different times of year, depending on the growing season. Do you have any count of how many different things that you sell at the market? Oh, my. Yeah, that's a long list. We do um, continue to keep an update through the season on our website of what's available at the market. But every week we're adding to the list and every week we're subtracting from the list. But, yeah, it's amazing what can be produced in Indiana. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amanda of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, people might be surprised to know just how much local food you're able to put in uh, in the pantry at Mother Hubbard's. Can you talk a little bit about where you get the food from the pantry? Sure. Um, roughly 90% of the food that we see in the food pantry comes from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Um, and a lot of the produce that we get that's local is coming through Plant a Row for the Hungry that comes through the, the market. Um, and that's where area farmers and other growers uh, can donate extra produce that they grow. Um, to the food bank at the market, or they can bring it directly to us at the hub. Um, We also get a fair amount of produce from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank itself um, from their farm or garden that they um, have in the county. Um, And then we grow our own produce as well in our on-site garden and our off-site gardens. We probably grow around 3,000 pounds of food a year in our own gardens. Um, and then we just get lots of people who are either patrons or community members who just come in and drop off produce for us. When you speak with the patrons who go to Mother Hubbard's, are you finding that there's a desire or a, a want for local produce? Yes. I would say yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and please bring it by if you have it. Um, it. It doesn't surprise us because we're in the pantry all the time and we, we hear those requests from people. But I think it is probably surprising to your listeners that that... You know, it's good quality local, locally grown produce that all of our patrons are really interested in, and that that's kind of the hardest thing for them to get. And so um, this last year, and I hope this continues into next year, but the Double Market Bucks program at the Farmer's Market is a really great way for our patrons to um, stretch their dollar. They can use their SNAP benefits at the Farmer's Market, and um, they're doubled up to... Uh, I can't eighteen dollars. Eighteen dollars, yeah. and that really helps our patrons stretch their their buying power, um, and and purchase local good food and and produce that they want for their families. That's a little bit harder for them to afford at grocery stores. Um, but as soon as we have something out on the shelves that's local, and we highlight it, we put signs up. It's either grown in our garden or from the food bank, or it's from Plantarow. Um, it's gone. It's gone really quickly. We've got close to 4,000 people coming into the pantry each week. So there's a really high demand for food in general, but the local produce is really, really popular. You're listening to a, a special holiday version, Thanksgiving holiday version of Noon Edition uh, with uh, myself, Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Annie Corrigan from Earth Eats, who's joined us as we're talking about food and Indiana-grown food uh, with David King from Indiana-grown Amanda Nicky from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard and Marsha Veldman from the Bloomington Farmer's Market. Sorry you can't give us a call, but we hope you'll stick with us and listen to this program today. Amanda, before we get too far away from you, I want you to talk about Mother Hubbard's Cupboard because I think it's a, an organization that, of course, it's, it's well-known in Bloomington and Monroe County. It, the model that you operate under may be a little different from some outside of our, our regular local area. So could you talk about what Mother Hubbard's do, does? 
Sure. Um, we've evolved over the last several years to be more than what I think most people know us as, as a food pantry. Um, now we, we call ourselves a community food resource center. We want to be a place where anyone in need can come and find healthy, fresh food that they, that they want. Um, but we also provide education and advocacy programs. So we have um, nutrition and gardening education programs where we're teaching people how to grow food at home. So really kind of taking control of their own food security by growing it at home. Teaching people how to cook from scratch, whether it's cooking beans or cooking with grains or baking bread, those kinds of things. Um, and then we have a tool share program that allows people to check out tools that they need to make those things happen. So if you want to start a garden at home but you can't afford the startup tools, you can check them out for free at the Hub. And if you want to dehydrate all those extra tomatoes, then you can check out a dehydrator at the Hub. Um, we're really just working to increase access to food for people who need it and to build food security in our local community. And another thing that's always interesting to talk to you about is is the uh, requirements for going to the hub, which are? Really just that you have a need. We run on the honor system so we don't make people prove their need, um, which is pretty unique, I think, in um, the kind of work that we do. Um, so we have a wide variety of guidelines that we ask people to meet, but it can be simply that you can't make ends meet this week and buy food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, David King, I want to come back to you for a second and talk about Indiana Grown. Um, uh, you know, hopefully you learned a little bit about what Amanda does here. So at Indiana Grown, are there particular areas of, of food? Uh, you know, you talked about the Indiana being the number one duck producer, which really amazes me. I had no idea. Um, and, you know, are there other areas of food that you're really trying to, to market and make sure that people are aware that uh, you know that Indiana has a, a high supply of these things. Sure, and if I might for a minute, let me talk about the you know the local initiative. Uh, as we've been talking about, there's just quite a tremendous demand for local product and particularly produce and et cetera. And you know, one of the things that I think we need to try to focus on heavily here in Indiana is we desperately need more producers. Um, you know, right now. Uh, with uh, some of our major retailers, uh, with the Kroger's and the Marshes and uh, all the other specialty chains, uh, they're just desperate to buy more local product. So one of the things that uh, we're trying to do is to try trying to put together a mechanism to encourage these folks and uh, to get into it. And here at Indiana Grown, we sort of become the facilitator uh, if. For instance, uh, someone wants, if Kroger would be interested in buying asparagus, then we try to put them in touch with the folks that would like to get involved in growing that particular commodity for them. And, you know, that's everybody is not uh, looking to grow and expand to be able to serve the larger uh, chains, but uh, some folks, you know, do want to grow beyond the, uh, want to grow beyond the, um, uh, farmers markets and so forth so we try to identify that and we're working uh, as fast as we possibly can to uh, get a distribution hub that would be able to in fact we've got one in the process right now in the uh, indianapolis area that would be able to receive product from uh, numerous producers up to 100 producers and consolidate it there and put it in a fashion that would be ready to go to the, the major retailers. So, you know, I think the biggest thing here in Indiana is that we have so many outlet opportunities uh, for, um, you know, for the locally produced products. Marsha, I want you to hop in here. David said some things there that I feel like you could talk to. He said, first of all, we are in desperate need of more farmers and producers. What do you think about that? I think that's definitely true. I think there's um, a scale issue that there are some farmers who are interested in staying and selling at farmers markets. And then there's farmers who are now doing corn and soybeans, but would like to transition to growing other crops. But there's a lot more security in corn and soybeans, and making that transition, um, I think, can be both challenging and also um, just a level of insecurity involved with it. 
So I'm happy to hear that you guys are working on the distribution hub. I think that could be really valuable to growers because um, as you try to sell to those bigger um, outlets, it's just really hard for a smaller farmer to scale up all at once. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we just touched on there is that, you know, corn and soybeans is, has been a stable and will always be uh, what uh, a lot of our larger Indiana producers have done and know how to do best. But we're seeing uh, as some of the young folks come home from college uh, that they may uh, want to diversify a little bit so they won't have to be in the future so dependent on uh, to commodities that, you know, often um, may have some bad years occasionally. So we've got we've had one particular farm down uh, in a little bit south of Indianapolis. Uh, it's called Indy Family Produce. You know, and they have been corn and soybean farmers, still are, uh, but they've chosen to uh, set aside 100 acres at this point to get into some produce and other products and uh, as a matter of fact they're doing quite well uh, so you know there's uh, opportunities to diversify and uh, the folks already know how to farm sometimes the diversification piece is easier and our universities are working real close to to help make that easier so we're excited about that and these are the folks that can easily scale up uh, to, to meet some of the needs of the Kroger's and you know, the Walmarts and the Marshes and the Whole Foods and Earth Fairs and so forth. So uh, that's where I think Indiana is well positioned to pick up a lot of the products that have customarily been coming from Southern California uh, because I'm really excited about the fact that we've just got so much land and know-how here that it's going to be much easier for us and we sure need to be capitalizing on that opportunity. All right. So I, my role sometimes is to ask the simple or dumb questions. So, I'm, you know, I grew, I've, I grew up in Indiana. I've been here for a really long time. When I think of when I think of produce in Indiana, the two things I think of, num- besides corn and soybeans, are sweet corn and tomatoes. You know, every okay. every summer, late summer, those are the two things that, you know, I can remember eating from for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. Yeah showing my age now. Um, so when you talk about scaling, some farmers being able to scale up, I mean, are those products that are sort of well-known in Indiana that are being scaled up to be sold, you know, so if you go to a, a, one of the grocery stores, as well as the farmer's markets, but if you go to one of the grocery stores, you're going to be able to find that that's been grown by an Indiana farmer, tomatoes, sweet corn, other things that are so well-known to us Hoosiers? Absolutely. You know, uh, of course, we're here in Indiana have been very blessed that, you know, Red Gold is based here, and, of course, they buy a lot of tomatoes grown here in Indiana. And, you know, every year it seems as though there's more folks that are uh, supplying uh, Red Gold and uh, on the sweet corn piece. I mean, nowhere in the United States that I've heard of can you get better sweet corn than you can here in Indiana. So we're working hard with the farmers to uh, help them identify their corn in the marketplace uh, with the Indiana Grown logo. We've got some producers up north that are uh, with their sweet corn. They're currently uh, shucking it and putting it in a package and wrapping it, which is adding some value to it. And they were able to put in some equipment that allowed them to pack it just for Walmart. And, you know, last year, uh, that particular farm uh, produced 600 acres of sweet corn just just for Walmart. So, and again, that's on a big scale. But what we're hoping to do is, uh, with a food hub, uh, it's very difficult. Without a food hub, it's very difficult for that small farmer that has five acres of or an acre of sweet corn to get that to uh, a market. And they may not be up to scale. So if with a food hub, you might be able to bring in uh, corn from 5, 10, 15 different uh, farms, identify it as Indiana grown, and get it out to the marketplace, which, you know, we're certainly hoping to do. But now 
this goes way beyond uh, just sweet corn and tomatoes. You know, right now um, we have quite a few folks that are getting into the, the cucumbers and the bell peppers and the hot peppers and uh, different types of asparagus. And, of course, you know, we, we certainly don't want to forget about the floral industry as well. Uh, and then also we're seeing uh, quite a bit of hydroponics, you know, coming into Indiana, which gives us a better way to in, service the needs for 12 months out of the year, uh, whereas sometimes we couldn't. So we're seeing a, a lot of different diversification coming in, and uh, hopefully that will encourage more folks to get into the, the produce piece. If you want to learn uh, what hydroponics growing is, we're going to post that on Twitter. Um, an introduction to a couple farms that are doing some hydroponics growing. You can find that on Twitter, at Earth Eats, for listeners out there who want to learn more about that. David, this idea of a food hub is really exciting. I wonder if you could talk about the process of creating that, how close you might be to actually getting a food hub off the ground? Well, you know, a food hub, I think, probably has 20 different definitions, uh, depending on what particular need that it may be servicing. Uh, I'll talk about a, a food hub in particular that would service, say, the needs of, of retailers, or large retailers. Uh, typically, what one of the things that we're seeing is that we have a couple entrepreneurs that are in the process of putting together a facility, uh, and they would be working in conjunction with one of our major retailers and also with one of our produce distributors so that with the objective that no matter what the product was, let's say a farmer who was growing uh, tomatoes for a farmer's market, all of a sudden uh, the tomatoes came in and he had five or six bushels more than he needed uh, to sell in the farmer's markets. We're, We're hoping to get the facility set up so that he could bring those there to the market and uh, get a price so that they wouldn't go to waste. And this is where it takes a partner like uh, a retailer that's willing to be flexible and uh, help take the product that might not typically be in large quantities uh, into into their system. And we do have one retailer that's working, you know, closely to do that. And in addition, uh, at this particular food hub, uh, there will be a processing facility so that let's use, let's say, for example, um, the cucumbers that come in have to meet a certain spec to go into a box that would go into marsh. Typically, there's about 20% of products that don't meet spec. So the, the idea is whatever products that don't meet spec would go into some value-added processing, pickles, relishes, and so forth so that ultimately we can use more of that product that the farmer typically wouldn't be uh, getting uh, any money for or certainly way less. So that's what we're working on. And, again, I'm I'm hoping that uh, we'll see that uh, by the end of 2016, uh, which would be a a fairly large-scale facility. Of course, there are several others that, that work on a much, you know, much smaller scale, but that's sort of the vision uh, that some of the folks have right now. Marsha, I've heard rumblings of food hubs in this area for years. So what are you thinking as you're hearing David say this? I'm really excited to hear that um, it is a focus of Indiana Grown. Um, Yes, there have been conversations in this area and you know to date nothing's come to fruition it's um i think the there are a number of challenges um one is um i'm happy to hear that they are working with the retailers on flexibility we've gotten so used to having the exact same tomatoes looking the exact same 12 months out of the year and even if they don't taste that great we're kind of used to it And so I think on the retailer end, there's got to be a lot more flexibility um, in order to allow for um, 
for Indiana produce to get featured because we don't have a 12-month growing season for all crops. But um, I do think, and it also is good to hear that it is also for smaller producers because um, they're the ones who are going to have the hardest time getting into larger retail establishments. Mm-hmm. Marcia, just to follow up, is that is the uh, the retailer flexibility the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge that you've had? Are there other things that need to happen for for there to be a hub created locally, a hub as opposed to the mother hubbards? <laughs> Yeah. Well, as far as the local hubs, I mean, I've mostly been on the periphery of those conversations, but um, a lot of it has been um, communications with volunteer-based groups. And so it takes a lot to put together a food hub. And um, I think that's been part of the limiting factor is... Um, you, you know, people just being able to devote enough time and then to typically get the investment money or the grant money to put it together. Could you imagine well, the uh, David, go right ahead. Hop in there. Uh, what I was going to say is one of the things up to this point, basically what we've been discussing and particularly myself been talking about is produce, but, you know, the food hub is certainly not just one dimensional uh, from produce, I mean, uh, it's a tremendous place uh, to consolidate some of the the eggs that are in desperate need right now for some of the free range eggs, and uh, same thing with the specialty meats. Um, you know, so the the food hub, you know, is going to be in a position to not just do produce, but do other things and uh, have freezers and so forth there, which will allow us to to offer that facility to the producer or to the uh, to the producers so this didn't want us to think the one dimension of produce the food hub that we're uh, hoping to see developed will cover all those bases thank you for adding that david that's important to mention i wonder let's say this food hub that david's talking about takes off in a couple years farmers in this area let's say decide to grow for retail markets for Marsh, for Kroger. How could that affect the Bloomington farmer's market? Could we see fewer farmers selling small scale at the market? I don't foresee that happening. I think that, um, one, at the farmer's market, they will get a higher price for their goods than they would selling to a food hub. And um, while I could definitely see some farmers doing both of those things, getting that premium is pretty important for a lot of the smaller farmers in particular. Um, So, yeah, I don't see that. And also the social interaction. Um, I think a lot of farmers um, being able to connect with customers and with a greater community helps keep them invigorated in their farming practice. Yeah, it sounds like they can coexist. I agree, too. I don't think that you'll see um, uh, the food hubs that we're talking about interfering in any uh, fashion with uh, farmers' markets because uh, it's just going to give uh, the folks that are producing for the farmers' markets, if they want to grow and get larger, uh, would give them an opportunity. Because I agree with all the reasons that, that you mentioned. That's why people go to farmers' markets. You're listening to Noon Edition today on WFIU. We're going to have to take a short break, and then we'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com and IU School of Public Health Bloomington online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. 
It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. It's a uh, holiday weekend here, Thanksgiving weekend. Food's not very far away from our thoughts at any point during the holiday season. So we're talking about Indiana-grown food today, locally grown food and state-grown food, uh, with three guests, David King from Indiana-grown. He's a project manager, and he's joined us by phone. Amanda Nicky, the CEO of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, is with us here in the studio. And Marsha Veldman, coordinator for the Bloomington Farmer's Market, is also in the studio with myself and Annie Corrigan from WFIU and the host of Earth Eats. And uh, Annie and I have been talking with these three folks. You can't give us a call today because we're pre-recording the program because it is a holiday weekend. Uh, but we're talking about a lot of good stuff. So hope you'll stick with us. And on Twitter, too, hop over to at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. Bob, I'm going to post this article at Earth Eats about the history of green bean casserole. It turns 60 years old. This year, this article that we're going to post is a lot of fun. You should check it out. The original Campbell's recipe of green bean casseroles. We're going to put that on Twitter. Amanda, I want to fold you into this conversation and talk about your education initiatives. You said that people are hungry for local food, food that's been produced near where they live. Are people also interested in learning how to grow their own food? What's the demand like for that bit of education? Um, Yeah, they are. And I think where we see kind of the most interest um, and what makes me the most hopeful um, is in our kids programming. We've got um, three um, programs that we do each week um, that are on site with kids where we're teaching them. We're working in the garden. um, So kids gardening or kids cook in the kitchen, bringing them in the kitchen after they've harvested some stuff in the garden. Um, and we're, we're just seeing a lot of interest from the kids in those programs. And these are kids who, whose parents are coming in to use the pantry services, and they stick around and, and hang out for the um, gardening or the cooking programming. Um, but I think when, when you get people um, interested in starting seeds and, and learning how to compost and, and growing food at that early of an age, you've kind of captured them for life. Um, and so we do a lot of programming with adults as well, and sometimes adults are a little bit harder to change their habits um, or to get them to see the value of the investment of learning how to garden at home. We focus all on organic gardening practices, which some people think are more expensive or harder, um, and a lot of our work is spent kind of breaking down that myth and showing that it's actually really economical to grow food at home organically, and um, it's healthy and it saves you in shopping costs later on. But um, what we're, we're really seeing inroads is with the kids programming. You know, we've got kids who we work with lots of youth serving agencies in the community and provide programming to them. Um, but to see a kid, you know, come week after week into the pantry and he started those carrot seeds and he helped plant um, the kale or and now they're coming in and harvesting it. And, um, and then they're taking it into the kitchen to make kale chips or um, roast some carrots. Um, they really see that connection and and. Um, that sticks with them. And I've got kids. They're really strong motivators. So when your kid is really interested in something, you become really interested in it as a family. Um, So my kid got really into beets over the summer, growing beets (laughs) at the hub and bringing the beets in and cooking the beets. And, you know, he was tabling several times (laughs) over the summer in the hub pantry, showing people just the joy of eating beets. And he made a lot of beet converts and there's still people who talk about those beats. Um, so I think it's it, it's a good way to get in with the families. It's a good way to change behavior. It's a good way to change those habits. Um, how old is your kid? He's eight. <laughs> and how is he preparing those beets? He likes to steam them and then um, slice them up and put a little bit of olive oil and salt or vinegar. So when you say table at the hub, it's literally a table in the pantry area. And it's usually Kate Young whipping something up and she gives out free samples. But but your little kid was giving out samples of beets. He was handing out beets. And let's stop calling him your little kid. What's his name? His name is Oscar. Oscar. Oscar, So we can put up Oscar's beet recipe. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. At Earth Eats on Twitter. (laughs) Cool. All right. So we we talked for a long time with Marsha and David about food hubs and, of course, 
you know, the hub is what Mother Hubbard's cupboard is is called traditionally. It's kind of the nickname for it. Um, I wanted you to talk about um, how the hub has grown and the need that you see at the hub for all kinds of food. And, of course, you've talked about how uh, locally grown food is really important. Yeah, um, I think earlier in the hour I was talking about how, you know, we're seeing close to 4,000 people come through the pantry each week. Um, and that's an 85% increase in what we were seeing just about two years ago. Um, something that I never would have imagined that the need would be that high. Um, but it is, and these are people who are visiting us week after week. And the hub has really become part of the the. Um, wide variety of services that they use to make ends meet each month um, for their food and other basic needs. Um, one thing that um, I wanted to throw in in response to what David was saying about you know moving just beyond produce is that we've been really excited to see um, local meat sources come into the pantry and local eggs come into our pantry. Um, it's rare that we see eggs. Um, we get you know a decent amount of meat as commodity products through the TFAP program. Um, but right now we have venison, and you know I'm I'm a vegetarian and I like deer, and I know it's a sensitive subject in Bloomington. <laughs> um, but the venison is really popular in the pantry, and it's a great it's a great use of um, that product to to go into a place like the food pantry, and we get that through the farmers and hunters feeding the hungry program. I believe that's what it's called, um, and and so it's a great you know they get to go out and do their thing and then donate. The, the meat product to places like Mother Hubbard's Cupboard or the Hoosier Hills Food Bank or other pantries. Um, so beyond just the produce side of, of what we try to promote in the, in the food pantry is we want to promote fresh food, um, healthy food, and, and move away from boxed and canned goods. So the local meat, the local dairy, um, those, are, those are really good, great things for us to get. Do you have any, anything special during the holiday season? You know, we don't. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are a lot of agencies who focus on holiday foods and, and that kind of thing. And really, we're our focus is just making sure that people have the food they need throughout the entire year. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of other places that people can go for those things. Um, I would say right now we have a lot of canned cranberry sauce. Though. <laughs> <laughs> so if you need it, come get it. Right. We've, got a, we've got a lot of it. Okay. Now... I want to go back to Marsha because we have there is a um, market coming up, right? The holiday market is yes. will be Saturday. Yeah, we have the holiday market tomorrow, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's a really fun way to end the outdoor market season. We um, have the whole of City Hall is full of art and craft vendors. We put big tents outside amongst the market shelters, and that's even more craft vendors, and the farmers are there. And we're going to have train rides going down the Beeline Trail, put it back to its old use for a day, um, as well as lots of extra entertainment. The tuba Santas will be there. And um, and it's a great place to get like your holiday wreath and just different greenery. Um, Blooming Foods will be there selling live trees, so it's it's a really fun way to end the market season and really kick off the holiday shopping season. Which I you know that's one of the things I love about the holiday market. It's uh, I call it Green Saturday, following Black Friday, <laughs> um, where, uh, you know, it's just a healthy environment for people to enjoy their community, enjoy this sense of holidays and shopping and and support support their community from buying from local artists and farmers. And that was one thing I was going to ask is the, uh, you know, the farmer's market, as you said, is all Indiana grown food. Are all the craftspeople there Indian Hoosiers? They are, yes. All the craft vendors are. And then we'll also have prepared food vendors all from Indiana and um, in the farmer's market in the prepared food vending area. We have a preference for vendors who utilize local products. So when we're selecting for them, um, that's an important um, criteria that we look at because we want to take that mission of supporting small farmers forward into that area mm -hmm. as well. David King from uh, Indiana Grown, do you uh, also work with people like um, Christmas tree farmers? And do you work with people who you know, are making local products that aren't food oriented? Yeah, absolutely. 
<clears throat> several artisans that are involved in Indiana Grown. We have, uh, we even have a, I think a dog food manufacturer or two. We have some woodworking products. We have some cosmetic uh, folks that are involved. So it's it's very widespread. And you know, one thing uh, I may take a minute to talk about, so I don't forget, is that uh, we're planning uh, to have what's called a fantastic food festival. Uh, Indiana Grown is going to be the the key sponsor, and it's going to be, you might want to mark it on your calendar, uh, January the 16th and 17th uh, out at the state fairgrounds. Uh, This is going to be a celebration of food. Uh, From here in Indiana, we're going to have, uh, uh, I anticipate, a couple hundred booths, uh, and we're going to have chefs there cooking food um, all the time, and some local uh, some national uh, chefs, and uh, we're really excited about that, this because we're hoping it turns into an, an annual event, and uh, we'll be having food, uh, all types of food, uh, with predominantly all of it coming from Indiana. There may be a, some from other places, but the whole focus is going to be on Indiana, so we want to mark that. And we'll also have artisans there uh, that are doing some things other than food, so uh, that's uh, to solve the cabin fever after the holidays. <laughs> Thank you for saying that, David. That's great. We'll definitely mark our calendars. I want to take a step back. It's almost a shame that we don't have a grower here to talk about uh, that side of it. So we're going to have to sort of talk about them. David, um, I wonder how you've reached out to farmers. Have they been coming to you saying that they want to be part of the Indiana Grown Project, or have you done some outreach? Well, we've a little of both. We've since the launch, we've had quite a few folks call and express some interest. But, you know, we we reach out through as many organizations as we possibly can just to let people know of the opportunity. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's a – people – it's the same everywhere as if you're talking to a producer who's considering expanding or uh, possibly just getting into some areas they haven't. You know, they like to sit back and watch for a little while and be sure that it's uh, really going to happen. And uh, I can remember back several years ago when uh, all of a sudden folks decided, well, it looks like we need to get grow some cucumbers. And um, so they jumped in and grew an acre of cucumbers, and they all got ready to go to market. And uh, they got up one morning and said, what are we going to do with these? Uh, they forgot one key ingredient, uh, and that was who's going to buy them if we grow them. And that's what I'm hoping people are seeing uh, with Indiana Grown is that's, uh, again, one of our top focuses is to try to send out the message, uh, we need this. If you grow this, uh, a retailer will will purchase it, and we're trying to become that missing link to help the folks uh, be able to grow to a need rather than just grow something and hope they can sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're reaching out every way we possibly can to spread that word. Marsha and Amanda, let's let's have you join in this part of the conversation too. Marsha, what is the need like for farmers at the Bloomington Farmers Market? Do you have more than you know what to do with? Are new growers continually asking to be part of the market? So. We have, to date, been able to accept any qualified farmer into the market. Qualified farmer. So they grow in Indiana. They're growing product that is permitted for sale. Um, Yeah. Okay. That's pretty much it. All right. And um, we've had to make changes over the years to kind of increase our capacity for space in the market. I think for a market our size, we're really flexible with the farmers. Um, they, you know, submit an application in March, and once it's approved, they're welcome to sell at any point during the season. Some people reserve spots, but they don't have to come every week. So every Saturday morning, it's a little bit of a juggling act, figuring out, um, you know, the reserve space vendors, they know where they're going, but then there's people who don't have a reserve spot and assigning those spaces, and you never know how many are coming. So some years we have um, what we call these overflow spaces, and so, 
you know, we're beyond the hundred spaces marked for farmers and going into the customer aisles, um, filling them with farm vendors. But um, we are able, we have so far been able to continue to accept every new farmer who has submitted an application. So that's been a really good feeling. I don't know how much longer we can pull that off, but it, um, yeah. So far, so good. That's great. Amanda, I wonder if we could talk about farmers working with Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. What are the, some of the concerns that growers come to you saying, I just don't know if I could donate my food because I have these concerns? Right. I think, I mean, when we're talking about a lot of the local growers and smaller farms, it's really... Um, it, it's a loss of income for them to donate something. And so while we appreciate the fact that so many do choose to donate through plant a row or directly donate to us um, at our site um, or to the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, we understand that there are some who can't really make that commitment. And um, we see a lot of, we see a lot of um, farmers donate uh, seeds or plant starts to us, which is really great because then we can distribute those in the pantry and patrons can take them home and grow and grow food that way. Um, in particular, in the in the winter months through the winter market, um, there's an organization called the Healthful Food for All Fund, <laughs> to get that right. Um, and, and what they're doing, um, if I understand it correctly, and Marsha, jump in if I'm wrong, is that they're able to um, use the funds that they're getting to purchase from local growers and then donate those that produce to other agencies like Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Um, I think they donate to the Community Kitchen, to um, Middleway House, and, and some others. And that's really great, especially in the winter months when we're not seeing a lot of produce come in the door. Um, and so it's it's good local produce, um, and it's coming at a time when it's it's really, really dry in the pantry. David, I wonder, you know, we haven't been talking to you about donating food, but as part of the Indiana Grown Initiative, is that at all something you do? Well, you know, as far as the Indiana Grown Initiative, I mean, we always encourage that. Uh, you know, we, we're not, uh, in other words, Indiana Grown doesn't just personally uh, give that to food banks, but we encourage all our members, if they have any uh, excess product or anything that doesn't meet spec, uh, absolutely do that. And I'm not familiar with all the the other programs, but I tell you, it sounds really exciting if everybody can uh, just help grow a little bit, uh, uh, help support those uh, that may need it worse than they do. So, Yeah, I think that's uh, the whole idea of Plant a Row for the Hungry. So that's a mm-hmm. program that's around here locally. Well, I want to, you know, since we are in the holiday weekend, um, I wanted to ask uh, um, Amanda first. I mean, from your perspective with Mother Hubbard's covered. You know, it's a time when when I know you do try to do some fundraising. It's a time when uh, actually today in the newspaper is our annual wish list. I mean, what are the things that you need at the the cupboard? What if people are feeling generous this time of year? What what could you use from them? Well, I mean, I'll start with the obvious, <laughs> which is you know when you make a dollar donation to Mother Hubbard's cupboard, we're able to leverage that to get about ten pounds worth of food. Um, because of our relationship with the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. So your dollar donation we can turn into a $25, $30 retail value um, in the pantry. And, and that goes a really it goes a really long way um, for the, the work that we're doing in the pantry. It, and it also goes beyond kind of the food that we're able to get for the pantry. It goes to the, all the education programs and, and those programs that we're doing that have a, a lasting impact on our patrons. Um, I think, you know, it's it's the time of year where all agencies can probably use a little bit of extra support in that way. Um, But I think, you know, food donations are always welcome at the Hub. We like to focus on fresh food as much as possible, so we prefer not to get lots of canned goods and boxed goods, Mm -hmm. um, the traditional pantry fare, um, you know, citrus and onions and potatoes, they last a while, (laughs) Um, and those are welcome. Um, And then, you know, just volunteer support is really helpful. We are a small organization run by eight people, and we rely on the three to 400 volunteers that we have on an annual basis to make it all work. And could you talk a little bit about your relationship with the, the food bank, Hoosier Hills Food Bank? Because I know you're one of their biggest clients, if not the biggest. Right. We move probably a third of their of their products, so I think we are their largest partner agency. Um, 
we couldn't do what we do without the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. I, if you think about it from kind of a, um, a business perspective, they are the distributor, wholesaler kind of act, and we're the retail front. So um, they go and get all the food from grocery stores that, that are being, that's being donated. They have the partnership with Feeding America, so they have access to food in, in that way. They manage um, all the USDA commodities um, for agencies. And so they're taking on all of that work of gathering the food, screening it, make sure, making sure it's okay, um, and then distributing it out to you know the agencies that they work with. And they have a, something like a six or seven county service area. Um, so really, you know, we're moving about 1.3 million pounds of food a year, and 90% of that is coming from the food bank. You know, we're talking about volunteering. I'm gonna put that on Twitter. So find us on Twitter at Noon Edition if you're looking to do some volunteer hours around Monroe County. We're going to post some info. Mm -hmm. Gosh, Bob, this has been fun. What have we missed? I don't know. We have two minutes to go, so yeah. I'm going to give Marsha the same uh, question. Anything that the farmer's market needs? Any Anything? Any? You know, we are well supported by this community and by the city. Um, we just really love to see more and more customers coming to the market because – you know, it's really good for your health. It's good for the environment. It's good for the community. I always think, you know, I think a lot about sustainability issues. And, you know, many of those things include some sacrifice. You know, it's like, oh, you want to keep the heat down in your house in the winter, so you got to wear an extra sweater and maybe even a hat if you're keeping it down that low. Coming to the market, it's like this joyful experience, and it's so good for the environment. It's good for you, and it's good for your community. What could be wrong with that? <laughs> and I do want to put in a plug for the Winter Farmers Market, which follows immediately after the holiday market. Okay. Every Saturday. All right. And I want to I want to thank David, David King. And I'm just going to say on David's behalf that his uh, the state it's a state marketing initiative, Indiana Grown, to create awareness. We hope we've helped create some awareness about that today. So I want to thank uh, our guests today, David King, Amanda Nicky, and Marsha Veldman. And for Annie Corrigan, thanks for being here, Annie. It's been fun. And for Drew Dodlin and Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.